Welcome to Sibylline Podcasts, part of our insight series where we aim to provide relevant, timely and actionable analysis in a discursive format. We hope you enjoy listening and welcome any feedback. Please visit our website for more insight series updates. And as always, like, subscribe and share. Hello, and thank you for tuning in this week. I'm Greg Hubler, Director for Sibylline Americas, and I'm joined today by Ignacio Ayala and Conrad Petrenas, two of our Latin America analysts, to discuss the current state of politics in Brazil, along with key drivers for political stability and business risk in the coming year. Conrad, Ignacio, thank you both so much for joining us. I'm uh, excited and looking forward to the conversation here today, talking a bit about Brazil. Obviously, you know, quite a lot going on over the past year. As many countries, uh, you know, somewhat dominated by by COVID at times, but broadly speaking, there was you know some significant groundswell uh, in terms of opposition to President Bolsonaro. I know throughout the course of last year, you know, there was talk about possible impeachment. You know, and from what I've seen, I, I believe recent protests suggest that you know popular opposition uh, certainly it doesn't seem to have gone away. What is the latest on this? What's what's the trajectory of uh, of Bolsonaro's support, and how have some of the uh, recent Senate and Congress leadership elections affected this? Yeah, hi, Greg. So th- that's a bit of a compound question. Let let me just start off with uh, the impeachment. With the impeachment, the short answer is no. The recent election of uh, Senator Rodrigo Pacheco as a new president of the upper house and a federal deputy Arthur Lira as the speaker of the house have significantly reduced the risk for impeachment. We expect that baseline to continue well into 2021. Both candidates were backed by Bolsonaro and it would be Lira's responsibility as speaker to accept or reject requests for Bolsonaro's impeachment. So again, it's highly unlikely. I think that the hype or role over impeachment that we've been hearing over past couple of weeks, past couple of months, it might have perhaps been driven by US-based reporters uh, or analysts that were perhaps a little bit too eager to continue to make the parallels with the former President Trump. Bolsonaro uh, has been referred to as a tropical Trump or Trump of the tropics, and he's made no no effort to dispel that notion, but I, I think that's where the parallels. And uh, if anyone's keeping count, I think that's Trump too and uh, Bolsonaro zero in regards to impeachment. Sure thing. So reports yeah. of protests in Brazil over the last couple of weekends have spurred doubts about possible social unrest, maybe like you know back in 2014. Uh, that led to the impeachment of former President Dilma Rousseff. Is this possible? Uh, and how will these protests affect businesses with operations in some of the major cities? Yeah, absolutely. So over the past couple of weeks, we've seen two strands of uh, protests. One strand has been uh, largely led by transport unions. These uh, we expect to be the largest catalyst for disruptions for businesses operating in the region. That said, Bolsonaro has been very calming. He has appeased some of the key people in in that sense. But back to your question, the widespread protests that we have seen, you're completely correct. They've come both from left and and right camps of uh, Brazilian politics. 
but I'd be hesitant to say that they are at the 2014 level, which saw Dilma Rousseff lose her, her seat. The protests have largely been driven by COVID concerns. They've largely been driven by Bolsonaro's handling of the pandemic, which you could arguably say it was poor. That, that said, I, I'm not an epidemiologist, so uh, I'm not sure how much weight my opinion counts in that fact. But speaking as a Latin American and less as an analyst, I, I can honestly say that COVID is important, yes, but it doesn't necessarily permeate into people's primary concerns. Bolsonaro's key base is largely driven by security concerns, for one, or fiscal consolidations, you could argue, in the business camp. And uh, while COVID, again, is incredibly important, Bolsonaro still has a good solid block of support, which has not disappeared despite the protests. Gotcha, thank you. So then maybe continuing to look forward, I understand we've got presidential elections coming up in 2022. Are, are we to expect anything particular out of Bolsonaro's legislative agenda this coming year that is maybe lay, laying the groundwork for, for his campaign into next year? Hello, Greg, Ignacio here. So for the 2022 general elections, uh, we expect that this will be the main driver of Bolsonaro's policies and basically of the entire political spectrum. Uh, we, as, we expect Bolsonaro's policies to be affected mainly in two ways. First, that he will push forward policies that will be popular with his conservative base that is basically the same as in 2018, agribusiness and evangelicals. He has introduced last week a new legislative agenda that basically proposes modifications to the indigenous land reforms in mining and energy, it creates new sources of funding for agribusiness and uh, certain amendments to public security. So once again, basically the same issues as in 2018. Secondly, he will do everything possible to stay popular for the low income population, as Conrad said previously. This group, which represents an important part of the voting population, has suffered the most due to COVID. Uh, approximately, according to the data, uh, 2 million people fell into poverty since January. So he will push forward a new uh, stimulus package, or, or that's what we expect to happen, uh, even though it will be smaller than the previous one. So this will allow him to maintain a certain level of popularity despite the economic recession. If Bolsonaro manages then to push forward these reforms um, on concessions and mining, public opinion may push back. You know, what are some of the po potential risks that may arise from this? Well, precisely, Greg, as Bolsonaro pushes forward these reforms, it, we see that it's likely that he experiences a backlash in public opinion. This public opinion is not necessarily within Brazil, but will likely be of Western media and uh, advocacy groups. Together with the growing interest in ESG investments, this will certainly pressure the Brazilian government and firms operating within Brazil to follow certain standards when operating. 
Moreover, with Bolsonaro moving forward, the ESG risk and reputational risks uh, for companies that have operation in Brazil or supply chains in Brazil will increase. This trend will be mainly driven by racism in Brazil, modern slavery, and environmental issues of soy crops and cattle raising. Got it. Thank you. So are there any specific leading risks that Bolsonaro faces from within his team, either from uh, within or around his cabinet or broader coalition? Yeah, exactly. So our baseline right now is expecting a cabinet reshuffle in the medium term. Bolsonaro has backed the so-called Central Bloc. That's what you would colloquially refer to it in Brazil, which is largely made up of center-right, a little bit center-left. Yeah, old-school politicians, basically. And they will expect some representation in the executive cabinet. That There are no indications that that will not happen. What might happen, though, after that is uh, we do expect some friction to occur inside the cabinet, in particular with uh, the so-called uh, super minister or the economy minister, Paulo Guedes. Paulo Guedes has been the leading advocate for pension reform and wider fiscal consolidation throughout the Bolsonaro's government. And he's, he's an interesting figure because he's, he's an old, uh, old school Chicago boot school of an uh, economist who really does secure or holds confidence People hold confidence in him. The, the, the wider market has a lot of confidence in Paulo Guedes. I have friends who work for some of the major banks in Sao Paulo, and uh, they tell me that they have a Paulo Guedes resignation Google alerts just because they know that the second some friction does occur inside the cabinet and Guedes leaves, capital flight will increase throughout the country, and uh, it'll be both from within and, uh, and outside. That, that will have knock-on effects and it will eventually raise borrowing costs across the board. Uh, I think Carmen Reinhoff, uh, she, she makes a very good point in uh, her last book, This Time's Different. She makes clear that holding confidence in institutions is incredibly important for any country, especially a Latin American country. She plots out I think it's close to 100 defaults that have occurred throughout Latin America. And um, I think the average debt to GDP ratio is right around 60%. Brazil is 102% right now. So going back to your questions, the frictions that might occur between the cabinet reshuffle are perhaps a little bit more interesting than the wider talk about impeachment, lack of. Got you. Thank you so much. If, if I may you know, offer an opportunity for any final comments, I, I think one thing that I think a, a lot of our, our clients and friends listening kind of may, may boil down their, their concerns to is generally looking to, you know, will, will Brazil be a, a better or worse place for, for multinationals to be doing business in terms of opportunity and risk a year from now? Any either, either guesses to be offered or kind of, you know, analytic forecast points that may identify you know, where we may see that trajectory going over the course of this next year? 
So I think one of the, the clearest bellwethers, uh, as I mentioned already, is uh, Paulo Guedes's status in the, in the cabinet. He has been pushing for central bank, you could call it isolationism, but other people would just call it independence, which is also incredibly important. So assuming that the current Congress does maintain uh, Guedes, and the central bank is allowed to more or less conduct monetary policy without too much interference, I, I have no doubts that Brazil will continue a good environment for businesses to operate. Uh, Ignacio, would you want to add anything to that? Yes, Greg. We do believe Brazil is still in a path of growth. Measures such as today's bill passed by the Congress for central bank independence and innovation within the Brazilian economy will allow the country to keep growing and be attractive, uh, an attractive place for investments. Uh, moreover, the security assessment has not yet changed, and this leads us to the conclusion that Brazil will continue to be an attractive place to operate and to invest. Uh, and th if these policies continue to be applied, it is likely that the conditions will improve over the next years. Thank you so much. Uh, well, again, you know, my uh, appreciation to both of you. Uh, and I know our, 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 our listeners and, and clients and friends will uh, appreciate this conversation as well. Uh, and look forward to joining both of you again for uh, another chat on, on Latin America sometime in, in the near future. Um, gentlemen, both, thank you again. Greg, thank you very much. Thank you, Greg. And now, as always, it's my pleasure to welcome Ed Johnson, head of our Insight Analyst team, to discuss what we should be looking at in the week or so ahead. Ed, thanks as always. Uh, what have you got on your mind for us today? Hi, Greg. Uh, yes, thanks very much. Uh, it's uh, certainly a, a, a busy, a busy period in the world at the moment. Starting off with Myanmar events there, obviously have played out over over the last week or so. Aung San Suu Kyi's uh, arrest warrant is set to expire on the fifteenth of February. Um, and obviously protests have been been ongoing there. So any any further detention of her would likely prolong those uh, those protests and prompt uh, further sort of aggressive crackdowns from the uh, the junta. Moving slightly further afield in Chad, there's a, a crucial summit on the 15th and 16th of February between that government and the French government, as well as regional allies over military operations in the Sahel. Paris is leaning towards announcing a troop drawdown, which obviously would would severely undermine the capability of uh, regional counterinsurgency despite you know, increased violence uh, in that region. Moving a bit further north into, into Europe, we've got Catalan regional elections on the 14th of February, which, you know, as, as we've seen previously, could act as a, as a trigger for unrest around, around the vote there. In Russia, also on the 14th of February, we've had a call from opposition imprisoned opposition figure Alexei Navalny's team to protest again, perhaps using slightly different tactics to those we saw over the past couple of weekends to minimise the number of arrests and, and, and wider repression. You know, so I think that's the, that's the tactic we're likely to see from the opposition in Russia now is perhaps more of civil disobedience through flash mobs, etc., rather than mass street protests until we reach the summer and, and elections there. I think just wrapping up on a final note, obviously, the US is, uh, you know, the impeachment trial of, of Donald Trump is, is ongoing. Um, while this is unlikely to see Trump convicted, certainly a, a deeply polarizing moment and, and sort of compounds the, the division between the two parties uh, over the, this issue of the second impeachment trial and also poses some interesting questions for the internal stability of the, the GOP itself.
I most certainly uh, agree with you there. You know, for for those of us who'd hoped for a uh, a calmer February than uh, than than January to start, proving to be minimally so. And elsewhere in the world, it sounds like a a rough time to to be in opposition parties a- around the world. Uh, and to to leave us on on a positive note, Ed, do you, do you have anything in the category of of good news for for our our friends and listeners? Well, actually, yes. Following up uh, on on the podcast topic from a few weeks back, uh, India and China have agreed uh, on on the eleventh of February to disengage its selected parts of the the contested line of actual controls. And obviously, yeah, that's going to sort of significantly ease those tensions that had had seen clashes between the two sides in recent months, and obviously more significantly last year as well. Uh, I think it's still an area to to watch, but certainly progress in in the positive there. Hey, we'll uh, we'll, t- we'll take anything positive we can we can get. Ed, thank you so much. As always, very much appreciated. I'm sure by our uh, our clients and and friends listening as well. To everyone, thanks for your time. Should you have any questions that you would be interested in following up with us, please do not hesitate to get in touch. Otherwise, we look forward to chatting with you again next week. Until then, goodbye.